Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to hear you chatting away, and you're very welcome in church this morning. Uh, we're here, of course, to worship God and to honor His name. And uh, I was reading, um, or one of the verses I want to start with this morning uh, is a, a vision, really, from Revelation 15. And uh, the picture is they held harps given them by God. That's an interesting thought in itself. And sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So they're singing and they're praising God. And this is what they said. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And God has revealed himself to us, of course, in the Lord, person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to stand and sing our first song, which is, You are the Word of God the Father. And that reveals God to us as a creator and as a savior and as a sovereign ruler. So let's stand and sing to our great God. Tribe and tongue and nation, 
You are leading sinners home. The author of creation, you're the Lord of every man. And your cry of love rings out across the land. It's always good when you want to keep singing, isn't it? It's lovely. So let's bow our heads. Let's talk to God in prayer. Father, it is a a wonderful thing, really, when we stop to pause and think about it, that you have revealed yourself to us. And as we come to church this morning and we gaze at the uh, perfect blueness of the sky, we see something of your glory. We don't see it all. Uh, The Bible tells us that we see through a glass darkly, but we just see something of beauty and of color and of variety and of a changing reality, Father, and it's just lovely to see the beauty of creation and to know that it's reflective of our God. And that, Father, that there's nothing boring about it, that there's nothing static about it, that you do not change, but that you are always doing something new. And that, Father, we just give you praise for the the wonder of creation. And whatever part of creation speaks to us, whether it's the strength of the wind, the beauty of the sea, the crashing of the waves, whether it's the changing seasons. Father, I pray that you will open our hearts to just to express thankfulness to our great God. And yet, Father, our deepest need, of course, is our rebellion against you. We know that we've rebelled. We know that we do not do what we should do. We know that we are sinful. And Father, it is just wonderful again to just take a moment to pause and think about from before the creation, you had this magnificent plan that you would rescue us from your sin by coming yourself in the person of your son and living this most wonderful life on earth and yet in poverty and in need in so many ways until that point where he gave himself as a living sacrifice, dying on the cross. Father, we just bow. We are silent before such wonderful love and before a God who cares for us so incredibly deeply. And Father, we thank you that we have this revelation, not just of the death of Jesus, but of the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. So the throne of God is occupied. Jesus sits there, and he intercedes for us because he continues to care for us and continues to hold this world. So, Father, when we pause in the busyness of our week and when we reflect on who our God is, Father, we are grateful. And we say, great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, keen of the ages. And we recognize you as glorious, and we recognize you as holy. And so we come before you, and we bow our knees. Father, we pray that you will be with us in our service this morning. We pray that you will help all who will take part. 
We pray that we will open our minds and our hearts to receive from you more revelation of what's important to you as we look at the church. And Father, as you continue to teach us from 1 Corinthians. So Father, it's lovely to be here. It's lovely to have all these people of all these different ages from all over the world. And Father, I pray that you will continue to, uh, that we will continue to know you and know the blessing of knowing you. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've asked Johan to come and introduce himself to you. So Johan, if you come to the front, uh, Johan is looking for the church's support as he goes overseas to work for Habitat for Humanity. So I'm just going to get you to see who he is, and he's going to tell you what you can do to support him today. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Johan, and uh, I'll be traveling to Zambia in June uh, with Habitat for Humanity Ireland as, a, as part of a group of transitioner students uh, from Wesley College. Uh, there we'll be building homes for the homeless uh, in partnership with the local community uh, for two weeks. I'm fundraising to pay for building supplies along with other costs, and about a third of the money we fundraise will go to support uh, Habitat's activities in Ireland. Some crafts suitable for Valentine's Day and Mother's Day will be available after the service downstairs. Any donations would be greatly appreciated. I'd also like to thank Karen, Katie, and Lorraine for helping us make these crafts. Thank you. Great, thank you, Johan. So you've got that opportunity to go downstairs. Um, the display is down there. and. Uh, we sent you an email so that you would have some money in your pockets uh, that you can give a donation to that, and we, that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, Johan. Right, well, we're going to have God's Word read to us now. I think Adderval is going to come and read that to us now. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, page 1146. First Corinthians chapter three, page one thousand one hundred and forty five. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. We are, you are God's field, God's building. <laughs> By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how, his build, how he builds. 
For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should, be, should become a fool, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of these words is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the word of life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. This is the word of the Lord. Hello? Hear me okay? Good morning, everyone. Um, Rowan, will you come over here? And Lisa Marie, why don't you just sit there for a moment and I'll... Rowan, come on over here. Now, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask Rowan and a couple of other children. And Rowan, you are very quiet, so you need to speak up because I'm a bit deaf. All right, so what are some things your parents or teachers repeatedly remind you to do or say? And hold on, let's, it's always cute to hear the kids. Capital letters. Capital letters, okay. What about your parents? What are things that they repeatedly ask you to do? That you're willing to share? Are there things, um, what, are there things that, you, uh, that you have for meals that you're not particularly fond of? We won't let any of this count. Doesn't count, Mom. That you that you have to be asked about, maybe to eat. <laughs> All right. Um, what about in the morning? You're, you you get up. What what are some things that mom or dad might might say to you, and they say to you almost every morning? Get dressed. They they have to remind you to get dressed. Okay. Anything else? All right. What about um, what about when you're playing with your sister? Are there any things that your mom or dad kind of continue have continually have to ask you to do or say? Especially because your sister is little, and you're a big guy. <laughs> do they have? Do they remind you to be kind to her? Yes. 
and gentle. Okay, all right, that's great. Thank you, Rowan. You go sit down, thank you. Um, Charlene, would you like to come up here and sit down? I didn't ask Charlene. All right, what are some things that your parents your, uh, or your teacher repeatedly remind you to say or do? Um, don't fight with your sister. What about when you come, come home from school? Is there other things that you, mom has to remind you to do? Do my homework. Homework. I was expecting Rowan to say that as well, but homework, okay. Nothing else? Okay. All right. All right. What about now? I know you're quite a musical musical person. Do, uh, do you get any reminders about that? Yeah. Practice your piano and violin. How often? Uh, <laughs> a lot of time. How often does your mom have to ask you to practice your piano or violin? Three times. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Charlene, thanks very much. Lisa Marie? You've heard the other two, not a trick questions. It's the same question. So what are things that your parents or teacher repeatedly need to remind you to say or do? Uh, my parents need to remind me to clean my room. Okay. Anything else? Um, what about when you were younger? Um, let's see here. You... you have your birthday, uh, you get a bunch of gifts, what might mom or dad remind you to do? Say thank you. Say thank you. Um, and uh, uh, what about if you hurt Johan, which I'm sure never happens because he's so big. To say sorry. So do they have to remind you to say sorry? Yeah. Uh, what about even now that you're older? Still remind you? Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, Lisa Marie. Thanks very much. You can go back. Okay. Now I'm going to open it up to not only the kids but the adults, parents, anybody who deals with with uh, younger people. Uh, raise your hand if you are reminded or you do the reminding for getting dressed. Raise your hand if, you, if, if you're reminded to get dressed or you need, okay. Brush teeth. Say please. Say thank you. This, this whole area is not involved at all. I want to see some hands over there. All right, say sorry. I had to remind a, a septarian, septenarian. No octogenarian, but somebody in her seventies to say th to say sorry. Be kind. Still, no response from this side there. Uh, do homework. <laughs> I love the taste. Just keep his hand up. <laughs> raise hand. Raise your hand. <laughs> do you have to be reminded by your teachers to raise your hand? And, and then teachers or even people, people doing talks with children, they don't call on the people raising hands. 
They should call on the people raising hands, being nice and quiet, raising their hand. I was one of those. I was always quiet, always ra raised my hand. Teacher always called, oh, please, teacher, teacher, miss, miss, miss. Those were the people who always got picked. It just wasn't fair. Okay, read your Bible. Give an offering. Tithing. Okay. Practice something like practice sport or practice music. Or, okay, you keep getting reminded to do your chores. Like making your bed. Okay, go to bed. <laughs> okay, that's a lot of things. That's a lot of things that keep being reminded. Thanks, Robin. <laughs> You're not embarrassed at all. <laughs> um, and most of those follow, follow common themes, the themes of caring for yourself, improving yourself, uh, caring for others, like not hurting your, uh, your brother or sister, um, aware of love of God. Paul, in the reading today, was saying some similar things. It's not just children. It's adults that need reminding of the same messages that they should know. Instead, we get jealous. We argue. Um, and sometimes we act like children. Uh, so the message today, the simple message today, is God makes it grow. One person might plant it. One person might water it, but it's God who makes it grow. Um, last week, if you're one of the kids who was here in church, you received, in your together time, um, a cup of soil, and Ray and Carol helped you to plant it, and you were to water it. But God makes it grow. If we're jealous, arguing, busy, or distracted, that needs to stop. And I'm not just talking to the kids. We need to have things in place so we don't forget. Because God wants us to grow and to learn to be mature. Is this the last time you will hear this message? No, because from kids to adults, we need reminding. We are God's fellow workers. One plants, one waters, but God makes it, his word, grow in us. You guys have done a wonderful job listening. Thank you very much. We're going to do our song now.
Well done, everybody. That's great. Good. And their new uh, baby, Henry Victor or Victor Henry. Which one is it? Henry Victor. Okay, so let's give them a round of applause. You're very welcome. That's great. So, right, boys and girls, you're free to go now. Well, folks, while we're waiting for uh, some of the mums to come back again, if you have your order of service, we'll go through some of these announcements. Uh, lovely to meet new people in church this morning, and you're particularly welcome, and I pray that God will bless you as you uh, worship with us. Uh, next Sunday, is uh, uh, we have Kevin Hardigan with us. Uh, Kevin is doing an accredited preacher scheme, which is part of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland's uh, sort of pathway to ministry. Um, and uh, he will be taking us through 1 Corinthians. I've just asked him to keep going, uh, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, next week. Uh, that is also, I've chosen that date because then after that, we're going to RTE uh, to record the service uh, for uh, Sunday the 24th of March when it will be broadcast on RTE 1 
in the morning. Um, there is, uh, we could take another 10 people. I forgot to bring the list with me, but if you would like to go, uh, you need to be in RTE uh, next Sunday at 1.30 and be free for the whole afternoon. Uh, we're also going to have a practice for the singing um, on uh, Saturday. Before that, that would be the 16th from 10.30 to 12 here. So we did that last Sunday and it was actually a tremendous fun um, and worked really well. And we're particularly keen to have the children uh, because we're doing uh, an action chorus and Katie's doing a talk as well. Uh, so we had the rehearsal on Thursday and the RT people were happy enough. Uh, so everything's done. So I'm quite relaxed now because there's nothing more I can do. Um, and uh, it really is just a matter of praying that God would use it. Um, if you want to come, you're very welcome to come uh, next, uh, you know, another 10 people, but you should really let me know because we can't have more than the 50 that we're allowed. Okay, so that's RTE. Do pray for that. Uh, Saturday, the 16th, 10.30 to 12, for music uh, practice uh, with the children. Uh, going through that, we see that you've got committee on Tuesday, just to remind those that are involved in that. Uh, SALT project, uh, 16th, is that right? You're meeting on the 16th, is that the... Okay, so that's a special event, the 16th of February for Torrential. International Cafe is on again on Friday at 7.30 uh, here in the church. Uh, Art of Marriage course is on tomorrow uh, on Monday uh, the, at 7.30. There is a mission event in Grosvenor Baptist Church this evening uh, where Christ is not known as part of the Dublin Gospel Partnership event and part of their evening service. Um, I would recommend that if you're free to go and you're interested in mission in the world. And particularly, I want to speak to this uh, over the page, if you have your order of service there. Um, in terms of Bible reading, um, and if you look down, by the way, as I introduce this, uh, you'll see that in the first four verses of our reading, um, I think what Paul is arguing for here is the importance of biblical hunger. Um, that is, you know, I was thinking about the rugby guys uh, yesterday. I wonder how much they eat. I heard, I heard that the props, by the way, actually set alarms, at least they used to, to get up in the middle of the night so that they can get their calorie intake up so that they can become these big, huge, strong men who look after the scrums. And I'm not advocating that in that sense, but, but hunger is, is sort of, it's dependent on what we're doing, and it's dependent on how much we actually are, you know, doing in a sense of living as a Christian. If you are really living out as a Christian, you will need to read your Bible. So that's a big question, isn't it? Are you reading your Bible first of all? Now, what we've been doing with Bible reading notes is that Denise has been looking after that, um, and, and yet because of uh, circumstances and busyness, Denise is not going to keep doing that uh, into the future. Uh, we're very thankful for Denise for doing that for so many years and for looking after that particular ministry. Uh, but when we talked about it with the elders, uh, we felt that uh, it was really time just to give that responsibility over to you. There's such variety out there. It's so easy to order these things online and pay for them online. And as you see there, if you read on, you can get them as well from the bookshop in Dunleary. Uh, through Dougie. You can go and talk to him if you need to. You can ring him up and say what your needs are, 
and he will order them for you. You can collect them there. Um, but we really are pushing this back out to you. And we would love you, all of you, to have notes. If you already get them, you'll see that the details for reordering are uh, on the, uh, there. You can just, there's usually a telephone number or a website. You just go on and order as you would normally do. But again, if you have uh, questions, talk to Denise, talk to me, talk to your elder. Uh, we really want, as it were, the whole church ordering their own Bible reading notes that are appropriate for yourself. So that's really what we're starting uh, to think about it at the moment. And then again, just to highlight again, Johan's announcement um, uh, that he is traveling to Zambia. He does have a lot of money to raise, um, and you can give a donation today, whether you take a craft or not, um, but there is a craft uh, suitable for Valentine's or Mother's Day uh, downstairs where we normally have tea and coffee. So I think those are all. Oh, yes, you have those United Appeal briefings. These are about uh, Kenya um, and the Kenyans in London in particular. Just a small thing. Do take it with you um, and pray for them. If you look inside, I was interested in this. Uh, the couple who look after that church is Edwin and Anne uh, Kabathi. Uh, Anne uh, was a nurse in Kikuyu Hospital where I worked, um, and it's interesting just to see her photograph there. And her husband, uh, Edwin, uh, was a minister in a local church in the Kikuyu area at that time, and now they're working in London. And I've met them at the General Assembly on occasions as well, so that is about their work, and do take them with you and pray for them as well. So those are all the announcements. Let's stand as we sing our next. Well, folks, please open your Bibles um, at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The arguments are quite involved in this in certain sections and I think require us just to, to keep looking at them. Um, I want to pray for us because I think the application of this is something that you have to think through for yourself as well. And I, I don't have a lot of application in that sense. Uh, I was kind of struggling to know uh, where to pitch it at in that way. But let's pray and ask God's help as we look at his word together. Father, it is good that you have revealed yourself to us. And we believe that you have spoken through uh, your people in the past, uh, through the prophets, and particularly through your son and the apostles. And so, Father, we have this written revelation of what you find and of what you are and what you want us to do. And I pray that you will help us to engage with the text, that you will help us to think through what Paul is teaching this church in Corinth, and that, Father, that we will, by your Spirit, be able to apply this word uh, to our church in the first instance and to our involvement in the church. And we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I was listening uh, on the, to the radio this week, and they were speaking about people's metabolic age. Uh, apparently, that had come from Operation Transformation, uh, which, if you don't know, is a kind of weight lo uh, loss uh, program uh, on television. It's something, apparently, that you could uh, have tested. I'd never heard of it in my life. But one man texted in that he told his wife he was going to have his metabolic age tested, and she replied, don't bother. I'll tell you your age. You're a middle-aged man who acts like a child. 
And the key point there is that age and maturity don't always match. And parents are very keen, aren't they, about how their children are developing. Um, is there a PowerPoint there? It's okay, don't worry, it doesn't really matter. So parents are keen to find out, um, uh, to check how their children's milestones are going for smile, first word, first step. Doctors are often asked to advise when there's evidence of lack of growth and development. So a child may walk at, at around one year of age. Um, and if you were asked as a doctor uh, when a child was up to maybe 18 months, a year and a half, you probably would reassure the parents but if a child comes to you at two and, they, and they're still not walking, you would be concerned. Is it there now? Okay, that's fine, no problem. Well, you just have to concentrate on, on the text in that way. So growth is expected. That's really what I'm trying to say in a child. Um, and if our child is experiencing growth and development problems, then we must manage that situation. There are certain things that they won't be able to do. We won't force them to do things that they can't do. They may not even be able to eat certain foods, so we won't force them to eat those foods. And that's not cruel, that's kind, and yet it's sad at the same time, isn't it? Because we expect a certain level of maturity with a certain age. And really, what I want us to get to think about this morning is it's not different in our spiritual lives. Sadly, age and maturity do not always match, and we should be growing and developing. And when such signs are not seen, then we should be worrying. Things like increasing love for the Lord Jesus, a deeper interest in the Bible and theology, the use of gifts within the church family for, for us, for us as a family and for others outside of it, a desire to pray and a willingness to give generously, financially, and in summary, a healthy, joyful, and vibrant life of faith. Those things should be increasing. And again, if it's missing, and we have things like apathy or lack of attendance at church, an unwillingness to commit and share with the church family, obvious sin that isn't admitted or dealt with, no discernible gift or willingness to share with others, miserly giving, then we should have real cause for concern. And in reality, in pastoral ministry, there is nothing sadder than being with a person who knows the gospel, has accepted it, knows that salvation is in Christ alone, and yet is not growing, not developing. And in spiritual terms, they are children. And Paul sees the Corinthian church, or the church in Corinth, that their spiritual age is as mere infants. Look at verse 1. He is the apostle, and he tells them, you are mere infants in Christ. You're babies. And you get the sense that he longs for them to grow and develop, but he, it doesn't look likely. Why is that? Because they, of the present jealousy and quarreling among them, he has never doubted their salvation. He happily calls them, as we've seen, brothers. You see that in verse 1 as well, and sisters. But as we shall see, he longs that they would be spiritually mature and not worldly. 
And that's an interesting con contrast, isn't it? Because he's suggesting that spirituality, true spirituality, is the opposite of worldliness. And in that context, the, Jewish, the Jews were looking for signs and wonders. The Greeks were thinking in terms of human ability and power and wisdom that led to the elevation of individuals and abilities. And the criticism of others then who didn't fit the criteria that they set and weren't in their camp. The spiritual person elevates Christ and him crucified. And that leads to humility and service. So as we explore this chapter, that is why I've chosen the title of What is a Spiritually Mature Church Like? That's what this is all about, I believe. So in verses uh, 1 to 4, um, I have the idea of biblically hungry. Um, I'm not, in, I mean, the importance of it. I tried to be positive in this, the importance of Bible hunger, but just the idea of being biblically hungry. Paul, as we know, has founded this Corinthian church. He tells them that he gave them spiritual milk, not solid food, because they were not ready for it then, and they're still not ready for it now. You see what he says there in verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And that is in the sense that you weren't ready when he planted them. And he says, indeed, you are still not ready. In other words, it doesn't seem that they've progressed. They've not been weaned, as we would talk about with children, into solid food. And that is unsatisfactory. So the question is, what is he talking about here? What is the difference between milk and solid food? And that is what I suppose I've been thinking about this week. And initially, I tried to go down lines of, you know, what, what theological issues might we want to address if we were solid eating food. But I think that's wrong. And I went back to two, uh, chapter 2 and verses 6 to 16, and I really looked at the whole idea here that milk and solid food actually is the same thing. It is Christ crucified. Now, the milk is when we understand Christ crucified for our salvation, that he is the means of the forgiveness of our sins and that we are accepted uh, because of Christ's righteousness into the presence of God, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit. But the solid food is when we take the theology of Christ crucified and we apply it to how we live our lives as Christians and in discipleship. So if we understand the reality of Christ crucified for us in salvation, then we understand, as it were, the beginnings of the Christian life. But if we can take Christ and him crucified and work out what that means in the reality of every aspect of life, then we will begin to be hungry for the word of God and an understanding of how that applies in every aspect of life. What does it mean? I mean, I have no examples written down here. But firstly, I think we need to ask the question, are you hungry to look at what the Word of God says in how you live your lives? Are you hungry in terms of what does it mean for your marriage, for example? I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. Are you, are you hungry to know what God says about parenting? Are you hungry to know what it means to be an accountant in your firm? 
or a doctor or a nurse? How, how, do you, how do you work out what it means in terms of how you buy your car in light of world-changing climates? What's your thought about eating meat? All of those questions can have a biblical answer. And all of those things can honor Christ if we understand what God wants us to do. But we must read about it. We must search the Scriptures. We must talk to one another. And I suspect that many of us come to church and we go home and we never think of this again. And I suspect that many of us have been doing that for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And it's because we're not really mature and wanting to live as Christ wants us to live. We're quite content to be saved, and Paul's not doubting that, but we don't really want to grow. Now, that's not true of everybody, and I'm, we're all at different stages, and I'm just trying to throw that out there in that sense. But you must ask the question, do you live your lives thinking about what the Bible says because it honors Christ in every aspect of your life? Paul looked at the Corinthian church, and he didn't see it, and he was disappointed. So that's the first thing. Secondly, we look in verses 5 to 9, and we see servant leadership. I'm going to walk you through this, so you need your Bibles in this, and then we'll try and apply it at the end. He starts in verse 5, and the words that you need to, to look at there are only servants. So what, after all, is Apollos? What is Paul? He doesn't say who, by the way. It's interesting. He says, what are they? He says they're only servants. And that is very important that we grasp that. Now, they're not only servants in the sense that they have no value because he says, through whom you came to believe. So they're doing a good job in that way. Um, but it's, look who assigns the tasks. The Lord has assigned each his tasks. So really that verse is saying that every single one of us are servants of the Lord and that the Lord has given us each different tasks. Therefore, we're all different. We do different things. Planting and sowing is his agricultural or gardening metaphor. However, it's the Lord who makes things grow. And that's the key point. Richard was right. That is what this is about. God made it grow, verse 6, verse 7, but only God makes things grow. So God is therefore the primary entity in the work of the gospel and in the work of the church, not the individual, not the minister, not the elders, not the Sunday school leaders, but God. We need to understand that. And, verse 8, we are all working for the one purpose. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. And that purpose, of course, is growth. Uh, growth of salvation for those who don't know Christ, that they might come to know Christ. For those who are already Christ, that they might grow in Christ. And we all work for that one purpose, and we will be rewarded when we do it. And each will be rewarded according to his own labor. 
So it's not, I'm not responsible for how you're rewarded. You're not responsible for how I'm rewarded. There is no competition because we're all working for the same purpose. This idea of no competition is a big issue, actually, and I think it's an important issue uh, because you know I'm, I like sports and I'm really into sports, um, but at the, lo the more I've been in sports, especially at the higher levels, the huge disappointment that people get in sports is incredible. How did the Scottish feel today? How did the Irish feel last week just to keep the balance? It is so disappointing. But when you come together in an orchestra or you come together in a church, that competition is not there. And the reward is for everybody. And we are not in competition. In fact, we are, as it says in verse 9, God's fellow workers. That is an absolutely amazing verse, by the way. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Um, as an aside I have here, just to keep you interested, I saw a fantastic film this week called The Green Book, or Green Book. Um, I think that's what it's called anyway, um, about this, uh, uh, well, I'll not tell you what it was. But what struck me as I was thinking about this was there's a scene where the main character is in a car and he's looking in a field of Negro slaves. And it's a picture that we don't often see, but they're all tending the field. They're all working in the one place. And I want us to see that. We are, when I look at you, and when you read this, you should be saying, we are God's fellow workers. Every single one of you is God's fellow workers. And you're working where? Not in the city of Dublin. You're working in God's field, which is the church and then the world. You are God's building. And I really want to push that whole point this morning if I can. If you know Christ crucified, then the church is your field. And I want to say here that I think he's saying maturity and leadership in the church is about service in the church. You want to see who is mature in the Lord? It's not about the gifting that they have, whether they stand at the front or not. It's are they serving? Are you giving of yourself? Are you giving of the resources that God has blessed you with? Are you serving each other in this church? Or are you just coming and going home? Because if you just come and go home, you will stay as children. But if you come and you look out for each other and you think, how can I serve one another? How can I serve this church? And you work alongside each other as God's fellows workers in God's fields, in God's building, then you will grow. So the sign of whether we're mature or not as a church is if we are serving. And Paul's point is, if you're arguing, if you're elevating people, if you're talking about other things, then you're not serving. And there is disunity. And that's why he can look at them and know that they're not mature at this time. 
So I ask that question of us. Are you biblically hungry? And are you seeking to serve in the church? That's how you know if you're mature. And then we go to verses 10 to 15, and we look at building well. Um, There probably could be a better heading than that. Um, And this is a very controversial passage. This is where the Roman Catholic Church gets their ideas of purgatory and all sorts of things. Um, and, And I've struggled with this passage, so I just leave it with you as best I can. So, verse 10, the expert builder, by the way, and we tend to think about that in terms of construction, but literally the word is an architect. It would be seem quite arrogant, wouldn't it? He calls himself an expert builder, but if you read on, you'll find that he, it is by the grace of God that he is this expert builder. He lays the foundation, which the foundation, of course, is Christ crucified, um, and that's what he lays uh, in that way. Um, And the new believers start to meet, and they become a church. He's changed his metaphor, of course, from a field to a building, as verse 9 just marks that uh, transition. Um, And others are building on what Paul says. But they must be careful how they build. That, I think, is the bit I want us to remember. But each one should be careful how he builds, verse 10, end of. Now, he reminds them that the only proper foundation is Christ Jesus and him crucified. So he's really saying you cannot build a church on worldly wisdom, and specifically in the Corinthians case on rhetoric, supernatural displays, and the gifts. Um, All of us build the church using a variety of materials, which Paul describes in some kind of way in verse 12. He lists three precious ways of building, gold and silver and costly stones, And then he lists three common or cheaper things, wood and hay or straw. Uh, But the key point about these things, by the way, is not their value, but whether they burn or not. Because he goes on in 13 to say there's a day of judgment. You see the capital D in 13, the day. That is mentioned in 1.8, by the way. He's mentioned that before, the day of the Lord Jesus. It's quite a common thing in the Scriptures where there's going to be a day of reckoning, a time of sec- uh, when Jesus comes back, and the quality of everyone's work will be shown what it is. Those who build with right materials, what they have built will survive the day of judgment because they have used fire-retardant materials, metaphorically speaking, and subsequently they will be rewarded, verse 14. And those who build with wrong materials, the fire of judgment will burn it up, and there will no doubt be a painful loss, verse 15. But the believer themselves will be saved That's where some people get the idea of purgatory, which I don't believe, of course. The believer is eternally secure, but not much of what they have been doing will be be removed. Not much, if not all, of what they've been doing will be removed. Folks, I just just pause there. Isn't that a, a sobering reality? So again, I want to say to us, if we want to please our Savior... If we want to build a good church, inverted commas, we will pay close attention to what we build with. What are the costly fire-retardant materials? And conversely, what are the cheap and combustible materials? What are they? And I'm not going to tell you, because I'm not entirely sure. But I think if I had... To answer this question, I'd go back to chapter 2 
and verses 1 to 5. This is where I want you to think about this. Paul says, I resolved, verse 2, 2, 2, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. Folks, the church must build its church on the gospel. It must proclaim the gospel. Verse 4, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. And I think that's what he's talking about here. I think that's the whole idea here. It's not that we change, do something more sophisticated or something better. We actually just keep doing what we're doing, which is teaching God's Word, proclaiming the gospel, and that is how we build the church. That is the precious stones. That is what will last when the day of judgment comes. Um, somebody was talking to me uh, just incidentally, and they were telling me that they were reading a magazine about another church denomination. And when you read down it, you read that this congregation was doing a whist drive, and this congregation was doing a whist drive. And it seemed that the most popular event in the church was their whist drives. I would want to suggest that that will be burnt up that it will not produce Christians, and that it will not mature believers. And so whenever we look at what we do in the church, we need to be absolutely clear that we are building on the foundation that Paul went, and that is Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that's not narrow, by the way, in a moment or two, but we must be absolutely clear that when we do our children's work, that we center it on the Scriptures. When we do our young adults' work, we center it on the Scriptures. When we do our living well work, we center it on the Scriptures, as we do, because that is what is important. That is what will build the church. might not be popular out there, but it's what builds the church. I think that's what Paul is saying. But we don't just do that. We do it with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And I believe we have not seen much of this in our reality in some ways. We need to pray. We need to humble ourselves. We need to, I think, look for God to do something more than He has been doing at this present time. And we must examine our hearts as we do the work in that. But I do think it's sobering, and I think particularly for me, and also for the elders, because it's talking about leadership and whether we are doing what God wants us to do. Are we building well? Are we using the right materials? And are we looking to elevate Christ crucified and have a demonstration of the Spirit's power? That, I think, is what Paul is talking about. And even though he sees lots of activity in this church in Corinth, He's not overly impressed because it's not centered on those things. And lastly, we think well in verses 16 to 23. So we must think well. Verses 16 and 17, I think, could go in either section. 
Um, I could put them building well or thinking well, but I've put them in this section, um, as you'll see in a moment. Now, the first thing that you must get with this is that he is not talking about you and me as individuals. He will do that if you want to flick over in my Bible anyway to verse 19 of chapter 6. You'll see, do, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And we will come to that. So it, it is, it will, he will apply it individually, but here he is definitely not applying this individually. He is applying it to us as a church. We are the temple. We are the God's temple. Now, if you take time to think about God's temple, it was a magnificent building with precious stones, gold and silver and jewels all over it. But it was primarily the place where God met with his people. That God's spirit lives in you. That is where God met with his people. That's why it was so special. That's why they grieved it when they went to exile. That's why they longed to rebuild it. But we don't need that, of course, because we have Jesus Christ. And he is God's temple. And we are in him. And what he's saying here is that we need to know that this is what we're doing and how very precious it is. This is an incredibly high view of the church. We are the meeting place between God and humanity. We have the Holy Spirit. We are set apart and holy. We are different from the world around us. You will not find anything else in the city of Dublin as precious and as valuable and as important as what people do in their churches when they do it right. Nothing, not sport, not economics, not culture, nothing, not government. The church is the most important thing in the world, and it's the most important thing in this city. And folks, that is what we're called to be. It's what we are, and it's what we're called to be. And actually, Paul says in verse 17, and this is sobering again, he says we must never destroy the church. We must never seek to destroy it or rip it apart or be in any way detrimental to what it does. We are always to build it up and to seek its good. And I think that is incredible because when you think like that, then it will change the priorities in your life. And that's our problem, folks. We live in a Western world that has so much of this, the good things of the world. And so we have contracted the giving of our church activities to 11 o'clock to 2 o'clock on a Sunday. And we need to get out of that and think differently. So if you follow this breakdown, why do I say think well? Because he says don't be ignorant. Verses 16 to 17. Do not be ignorant of what the church is. I'll not rehearse that again. You've already heard me say it. Do not be ignorant of what the church is. Look at 16 and 17. Do you believe it? It is God's, the meeting place where we meet God. Do not be deceived in verses 18 to 20. Again, by worldly wisdom. Do not think like the world thinks. Do not embrace what they say. 
think what the Scriptures say and critique it. They're not always wrong, but we must always think wisely. Do not be deceived by worldly wisdom, and do not boast of worldly things. That's what he says, I think, in 21 to 23. In other words, people in this particular instance, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, etc. But I want to finish because I don't think this is negative. I hope we have been challenged about the reality of what God is asking of us. And I think it is quite devastatingly difficult for us in the West. But he doesn't finish narrowly. This is not just about being in the church, as it were, and doing nothing else and and being a holy huddle. It's not saying that if you follow this through. In fact, in many ways, it's the opposite. Listen to what he says. I was kind of blown away with this, and I think we need to talk about this. So then, no more boasting about men, verse 21. All things are yours. All things. All things are yours. So what are all things? Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the world, life, death, things today, things in the future, all are yours. Folks, I suppose what I think he's saying here is that when you have Christ crucified at the center of your lives, then you are able to think and freely to go into the world and to live out working what that means and to live securely in this world. It means a lifetime of discipleship and working out how to live for Jesus as Lord in this world. Paul is encouraging us, I think, to serve each other in the church, but not in any narrow sense of factions. But under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we will discern the will of God through the Spirit's word in Scripture. So what is a spiritually mature church like? Paul says it is a church that has a hunger for Jesus and his word. He says it's a church that serves everyone in the church and in the world. It is as the Lord assigns through the giftings that he has bestowed to its members. It is a church that builds each other up using divinely appointed means, and it is a church that thinks seriously about how Jesus and his word applies in every aspect of life, knowing that everything is yours and living this out in the church in unity for the salvation of the world. That is an amazing vision of what you and I are called to. And the question remains, are we spiritually mature or are we mere infants in Christ? And I want us to pray that God would help us to resolve that we will want to be mature and that we will want to serve him for his glory. Let's pray. Father, this is just the most incredible passage that has opened my mind and my view again of the church and its importance. And Father, I do believe that myself and others, because we're Westerners, because we've automatically, in a sense, become worldly, we've just uh, become so enthralled with the things of the world that it's easy to forget the reality of what we've been called to. Father, I pray that this will be a positive thing for us. I pray that we will, yes, repent of the things that need to be repented of, 
that we will get rid of idols that, that hinder us so much from serving Christ, but that, Father, that we will begin just by simply asking that you will help us to be mature, that we will love your word, that we will love your church, that we will serve wholeheartedly, and that, Father, that we will think positively about what it means to be Christ's ambassadors and his disciples in this world and in this city. And I pray that we will do it to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, folks, let's worship God as we give our offering to him now. Let us pray. O oh, eternal God, it is our duty and our joy in all times and in all places to give you thanks. With thankful hearts that trust in your unfailing love and with the sure and certain hope of glory in our hearts, we bring before you prayers for this church in Dublin and around the world. We pray, encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Eternal God, we give thanks and pray for this church as a people who belong to God, who worship in this place. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would guide our hearts and minds in light and love and unity as your children. Eternal God, we pray for those who mourn in this church. We pray for those whose grief is perhaps of long standing. And especially today, we pray for sisters and brothers whose pain is raw and new following unexpected deaths of friends this week. We pray, God of all comfort, that those who mourn may know your presence and your sustaining love in their time of loss. Eternal God, we pray for those who are sick. We pray especially for our sister Annie, that you would bless her and restore her to good health. We pray for our brothers, John and George, and in the silence of our hearts, we name before you those known to us in this church, in our families and among our friends who are ill. Eternal God, we pray that you would bless all who are sick 
with comfort and healing. O eternal God, we pray for people in this church at different stages of life facing challenges of all kinds. We pray for carers. We pray for parents and rejoice at the safe delivery of Henry Victor. We pray for grandparents. We pray for those doing unpaid and paid work. We pray for students and young people and especially for Johan for his safety and for the success of his trip to Zambia. We pray for those facing difficult relationships at work. We pray for those separated by long distance from family and friends. We pray for those with concerns financial, about housing, of concerns of all kinds. O oh Lord, help us as your church to be agents of your love towards our sisters and brothers and towards those in places where you have sent us to live and work. We pray with thanksgiving for our church. We pray for our minister, Sam, and for Karen, Peter, Andrew, and David. We pray for David Boyd. We pray for our clerk of session, Tommy. We pray for the guardian of this building with thanksgiving for Marcos and his wife, Alini. We pray that you would bless them and the ministries of this church in Sunday school, in young adults, in home groups, International Cafe, the SALT Project, and the marriage course run by Sue and Norm. We also pray for the pastor and congregation of the Korean church as they gather together to worship following the end of our service. We pray for the RTE broadcast and we pray O eternal God, that by your Holy Spirit, you will be preparing hearts and minds to receive the good news of the love and grace of Christ Jesus through that service. We pray for the church in the world. We pray for sisters and brothers in, our, uh, church in, in the church in Porto, the leaders James and Heather, and for all who gather to worship there this morning. We pray for believers around the world who face cruel and unjust oppression because of their faith in so many countries. We pray especially for believers in North Korea. Sustain them in a time of persecution beyond our understanding. We pray for the church in Pakistan at this time of particular trial. And we pray for those who work for organizations like Open Doors and Church in Chains as they seek to speak up for and relieve the suffering of persecuted Christians around the world. O eternal God, we place all these requests before the throne of grace with thanksgiving, humbly asking, O Lord, that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Folks, just to say that um, in regard to Annie, that uh, she's had a very good week this week. She was moved towards, and the standard of care there is excellent. Um, and she herself is improving and is really just awaiting a decision about surgery. Uh, so that is good news, uh, but obviously she just needs our prayers and uh, a resolving of this issue ultimately as well. Uh, so thank you for your prayers and for God's answer in that. So let's stand. Let's uh, worship joyfully 
um, because we uh, want to honor the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the name we honor. Jesus is the name we praise. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.